So this evening, uh, I've been invited to uh, give Dhamma reflection. And this is uh, the reflective mode, which means uh, a way of non-grasping, but observing, witnessing. And I've used this word a lot, reflection, we're used to uh, being told things or acquiring information and uh, we, which we agree with or disagree with or whatever, but they <coughs> we believe or we don't believe or we're not sure. But the whole uh, emphasis, to me the whole essence of the Buddha Dhamma is this awakened awareness, which is a reflective ability. It means that we're able to notice and observe the way it is in terms of our own experience at this moment, here and now. <coughs> And this is rather difficult to teach. It's easy to give a lecture on Buddhism as from a scholastic, academic style, uh, you know, history of Buddhism or Thai Buddhism or Theravada, Mahayana, and all like that, like using words and concepts. But <coughs> even if you know all about Buddhism and all its various, and its history and its philosophy and everything else, if you if you've never really tuned into the reflective style of it, then uh, you miss the point. So sometimes we we criticize the academic world in Buddhism because uh, they, they become authorities on Buddhism without really seeing the Dhamma. <laughs> There's one thing, knowing all about Buddhism, and another knowing the Dhamma, or realizing the Dhamma. When I say realizing, is recognizing the true, the, the way it is. And this is, this is what we call reflecting, awareness, noticing, these kind of words. And so I've been traveling now since the, since, uh, the end of the winter's retreat, and even though I've officially returned to Amravati uh, around the beginning of April, my presence here has been uh, kind of sporadic and uh, just getting ready to go somewhere else. And so this is, uh, I've been invited, I get invited to all these nice places and uh, hard to resist, hard to say no, because I do like uh, traveling and it's always, uh, you go into places you've never been in, it's even more interesting. <laughs> and so when I come here, and then, then for a few days that I'm here, then then uh, everybody wants to see me. 
and so you kind of <laughs> feel this feel this pressure of having to see people and then and then go away and come back and then the starts again. So now, the, at this point, I, I'm kind of have no, you know, I'm not going anywhere for the next few months, which is rather nice. So that feeling of, of pressure is is uh, is not existing anymore. The thing is, is people are really interested in in the teaching of the Buddha. So having spent the past two weeks in Portugal with uh, D'Amico and Vasco, and then, and then you remember Maria, who was an allegorica here many years ago, and uh, with others that Portuguese that have come here uh, <coughs> for for retreats, certainly had a very enjoyable time. It was a very beautiful country and very uh, friendly uh, environment and very sunny. So this is, and, and also there seems to be quite a bit of interest. And one, one always has these these views about other countries, you know, you always connect Portugal and Spain and Italy as kind of died in the wool Catholic slaves of the Vatican kind of <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> surprised to find out that, that you know um, it's not that way at all. And I remember going to Italy and just uh, assuming that uh, that everybody was a um, you know dedicated Roman Catholic and only find out that they definitely an interest in trying to separate themselves from the Vatican and that the people are quite capable of of uh, you know recognizing the limitations of of uh, religion religious conventions or the or the conventions that one is a part of one's culture And there is a, a desperate uh, need now, I think, in, in human, you know, everywhere in the world for this awakening. This, this and by this I mean, it, if we if we don't do this, <coughs> if there's not this possibility, not this opportunity available, then we're really stuck in the in the kind of misery of samsara. Uh, this, this caught in the in the blind conditioning of the mind. We're stuck on that on that wheel. It just goes around and around. Mm. So it's like one of those uh, you know wheels where you put what some kind of animal in a cage and it walks on a on a wheel. That's what the samsara is like, where you just, the faster you go, the faster the wheel turns. And now the speed of, uh, of life is, you know, the pace of modern life is, is getting faster and faster. So there's a lot more stress in society. And people feel, you know, very much 
that sense of, of being oppressed in these very modern affluent countries, uh, you know, where we have uh, so much in terms of material opportunities and education and, you know, fairly stable democratic governmental systems and flourishing economies. And high tech. So that that, you know, and one thing realizes them that, that it's speeding up everything. Back in the, in the 50s, 1950s, I remember when I was a youth, uh, we always thought uh, that by this time, by the year 2006, you know, the, all these time labor-saving devices, you know, the ideal of the, the modern home was the push button and you press the button and then whatever you wish for happens to appear. And, and uh, labor-saving devices where you don't have to spend your time down at the river scrubbing your clothes uh, with a brush or, you know, dishwashers and, and, and kind of uh, vacuum cleaners. They just sweep up the dust and everything is, is there to, to save your, you know, you don't have to spend your life doing these tedious chores. And of course, uh, uh, at this time, 2006, we have achieved enormous, you know, incredible technology where, you know, modern computers and everything has got push buttons and, you know, you can entertain yourself endlessly with games and shows and whatnot just by pressing a button. So, on the material level, you know, the wishes are materializing. But instead of making life more relaxed and our life is, is no longer just so caught up with tedious chores, we find the, the theme of the age is stress, an incredible feeling of being stressed. And of course this is because this, it's a speeding up of everything. Modern technology, instead of saves us labor, it really, really speeds everything up. We're really kind of moving at a faster rate. You know, and our, even our natural energies and human, uh, you know, human bodies, uh, humanity is no longer, can't, can't kind of cope with the rapidity uh, and the demand that, that modern technology, uh, you know, threatens us with. We, we have to, you know, find another way, not just try to get rid of the technology or go back to a more primitive age, but maybe there's another way of doing it. And of course, this is, <coughs> this is what uh, the interest in meditation, this is what I see anyway, is why there is such a growing interest in meditation everywhere. The one thing that we can't do with a computer or with technology is, is uh, you know, you, you, can, you can manipulate the condition realm very well with it and refine it and play with it and so forth endlessly. But it's just rearranging all the conditions. So one is still stuck onto the wheel, you know, the treadmill of 
of running around on this wheel. And the point of meditation then is to transcend that wheel, to be able to get off the treadmill. And in order to do that, it, uh, you, can't, the, you can't just make yourself do that as some kind of, out of desire. There's something in us that has to awaken to see the, the suffering for the stress, to recognize it, not to, just to blame it on somebody or, or other things, but to recognize that, that the condition realm is not our real home. That even at its best, it's still unsatisfying. And then, that our real home then, where we realize the deathless or non-suffering is in the simple reality of awareness. Now it's very simple, it's not complicated. But yet, we can make meditation into a very complicated procedure, as you all well know. There's so many different attitudes and teachers and methods and styles and whatnot. And, uh, and you know, it gets the more you try to to teach meditation and, and uh, so forth, the more complicated it becomes. So the the uh, the simplicity lies in reaching you at a different level, not at the thinking level anymore, or the emotional level, but the intuitive. So this is, uh, this is quite a new, uh, for, for the Western mind anyway, this is, this is something quite uh, new for us. We've never really developed that level of consciousness. We've taken the, the uh, intellect to, a, to an extreme, and we have the emotional level developed, or sometimes not very well developed, but we experience it. And then we, but then intuitive, what do we mean by that? this word intuition. And so that's the word I use for this mindfulness, sati sampachanya, awareness, awakened consciousness. Where the, and it, it's, a, it's simple and it's direct. But those caught on the treadmill of samsara, you know, can't quite get it because you're so moving so fast on the, on the treadmill uh, that you can't figure, you know, the more you try to figure it out on that level, running around on this wheel looking for it or trying to figure it out or think about it. Because thinking all is the real treadmill of, of our experience, it is the sangsara, we create this sangsara. Or we live in a world of our own creations, our own thoughts, views, opinions, emotional habits. This is our real world uh, where we, you know, we create this, a sense of, of self, um, me and mine, with my body, 
my name, my appearance, my age, my gender, my position, my status, memories and my history, and so forth. Now with awareness, then, let's reflect on this, we can actually put that whole sense of the self as into the position it really deserves, which is it's an object in consciousness. And to do that, then that's this reflective, this awakened, intuitive consciousness that oh, is aware of the creations, or the thoughts, or the memories, or the, or the emotions, or the energies, or the physical body itself. But our relationship to it is one of of noticing it in terms, not in, no longer in terms of me and mine and self, but in terms of the way it is. All conditions are impermanent. So this is what we call the Dhamma, or the truth of the way it is. That every memory, every thought, every emotional experience, uh, high or low, good or bad, the energies we experience through, through these human forms, the sensitivity that we have through the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, the mind itself, all this is, is uh, you know, is nature is anita, or arising, ceasing, beginning, ending, born, and die. So this you've heard so many times already about anita. But what is Nanija, then? Can a Nanija, can a condition see another condition? Ask yourself. Can, can the treadmill see itself? When you're busy running on this treadmill, can you get any perspective on it? You're, too, you're caught in its motion, and you're just, you're just propelled onward into that, that pattern of of movement, in which you have no perspective, have no way of, of seeing the way it is. Because the, the treadmill is always thinking that if I run faster, maybe I will get to the end and, and get rewarded for it. So even in meditation, isn't it, many of us start out meditation with this same idea of, of gaining and achieving, of getting something of attaining enlightenment. <laughs> but that's not the way it is, it doesn't work. No matter how many hours you sit and meditate and diligent you are, uh, and how many courses and retreats and so forth, how many books you read, you're still on the treadmill. You're still caught in the samsara. So this is where it's an imminent, what do you call it? Imminent act or a detachment from the treadmill, which is not, you know, it's not a destroying of anything, but we call it transcending or beginning to reflect on this movement of suffering, of dukkha. And so in the Buddhist teaching, there's very clear, you know, that, that this is 
awakening too. He taught in this, this very practical way of using this stress, this feeling of stress or dissatisfaction or suffering or whatever word you describe the experience of samsara. Instead of trying to just react and get rid of it or running, keep running from it or trying to find happiness on the treadmill, you, you won't succeed. So it takes, it's a different, totally different use of consciousness. Now consciousness itself is, uh, you don't create consciousness. You know, so you, you, it's not something that you, as a person, that, it, that you can claim as some kind of personal thing that, that is mine. You know, so, you know, when a baby's born, it's conscious. It doesn't have a name yet, or identify, you know, it doesn't say, I'm, I'm a little boy or a little girl, anything like that. It doesn't say whether it's English or French or anything. These uh, they acquire later, don't they? We acquire these perceptions of ourselves, these identities, through the conditioning process. So what we determine to say our real home then is in this, this pure consciousness. Consciousness itself then is pure, it has no, it isn't tainted. But out of ignorance we create in the consciousness it's these identities. I am this body. I, I'm this age. I'm a, I, you know, I am my age. I am my appearance. I am the gender of the body. I am the, and then I've got uh, these different identities, memories that I that I acquire through my life. They say I'm a Buddhist monk. And uh, this is, this can be an, just another identity for me. I'm just acquiring another, another identity. Or, how to use this convention, so it's not just, just another identity I acquire. And this is the point, is in awakening to, these, these conventions are expedients. The expedient means. They're not meant to, you're not, you know, if you form identities with them, it's probably better than identifying as a, as a, you know, a something else. At least, you know, there's something wholesome and beautiful about being a monk, Buddhist monk, but it's still <laughs> the treadmill. Until I put it into its proper perspective, and that's awakenness. And that's reflecting on this identity. I'm a Buddhist monk. Is a creation, isn't it? That's, those are words, those are concepts, they come and go in consciousness. And so I begin to observe. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm noticing recognizing the way it is. All conditions are impermanent. Which is not a dismissal, or it's not to 
to say there's anything wrong with the conventions or it's not trying to just bypass them and dismiss them as, as lesser. It's awakening to, to the reality of the conventional realm that, you know, by recognizing it. It is what it is. It has a certain quality, certain pleasure or pain or, you know, beautiful or ugly or right or wrong, good or bad. <coughs> the conventional world is all like this. It's about right and wrong, good and bad, love and hate, approval and disapproval, day and night, male and female, and all this, this is the conventional, these are the, this is the conditioned realm. Now, all our conditions you know, are impermanent. Now this is, now to grasp this idea of impermanence, you've missed it. It's not a, it's not a, a doctrine you grasp, but it's, it's a projection to the mind, a way of looking at experience in the present. Rather than getting, you know, caught into the quality, the goodness or badness of what you're experiencing now in its pleasure or its painfulness, you're beginning to notice that whatever it is, whatever its quality, is it's changing. It has no, no core, no permanent essence no real substance to it that can, can, that stays. And yet consciousness is what we're experiencing and we're, we're caught into the treadmill and we forget our real home, the purity of being, by being blinded by our attachments, our desires, our fears, our habits. So this is where the awakening, noticing, observing. Now when I talk like this, this is, this is a reflective style, you know, to encourage you. Because awakening is not, you know, it's not like a precious, difficult thing to do. It's not, you know, it's not a refined state that, that depends on refined conditions supporting it. It's a natural state. Where the, you know, that whatever you're feeling or experiencing, no matter how refined your experience might be a coarse or mediocre or pleasurable or painful, good or bad. You're awakening to it in terms of the way it is. And so this is like really reminding yourself all the time, you know, don't believe what your mind says. Don't believe uh, what your emotions are doing. Don't, don't give them so much, you know, importance. 
there, you know, and, and seeing that we're, you know, our identities with our emotions, with our feelings, with our, with our memories, so strong, so real for us. And this is where it's a, it's a real letting go or relinquishing or renunciation. To let go of, of all that. Not, and letting go is not destroying. It's just releasing that blind hold, that clutching, clinging habit that we have. That on never questioned, that never questioned identity that we have with, with the condition. And so this is like learning to trust, to recognize of this simple, imminent reality of awareness. Now this is the whole point of Amravati. You know, the, this isn't just a kind of you know, trying to bring Buddhism into Britain to convert them to Buddhists or to, you know, to, to, to kind of just bring in, in uh, an, another religion or a tradition, kind of keep it alive. You know, the whole point of being here is for this awakened attention to the present moment. And so, and this, this of course means that we, uh, we have to keep, even with the ha force of habit is so strong that we easily get taken back you know, onto the wheel, onto the treadmill. And so we need, we need to, to remind ourselves not to do that. Or when we're caught into this this, uh, onto this, this uh, painful movement, the treadmill, we, we began just by awakening to it, recognizing it. We're that, in that very moment, in that moment, we're no longer on it. We're still maybe feeling the momentum of that, but we're no longer moving on it, stuck into it. So it's in, the, in these moments, these flashes of awareness, as we develop in, 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 in daily life practice, an increasing kind of reflectiveness, so that we're not just having momentary flashes of awareness, but the awareness is a natural state. The more we uh, recognize and appreciate them, that's where we belong. This is, this is, this is our real home. I don't mean the physical place of Amravati, but this awareness. Now this really, you know, this kind of teaching does take a, a determination because it you know, the world is, uh, can be a very interesting, fascinating place. And so it, there's, you know, one, one has to, you know, in monastic life, all you 
monks and nuns have been through the, the ups and downs and the inspiration and, and desperation that arises from, from living in, in a conventional form. No different than any, you know, it has this, this uh, you know, anything you do, you, know, you get inspired and then you, after a while you get bored with it. But this is where the awareness is the important thing, not whether you're inspired or what state of mind you're in, but your willingness, your determination to awaken to the way you're feeling. That whatever you're feeling, inspired or bored, disillusioned, fed up, you're able to see it, to notice that this is a condition in consciousness. It's not, it's not consciousness, it's a condition. It's a habit pattern. It's a, something that, that we create out of ignorance, out of not understanding the Dhamma or the way it is. So, in our life here, Dhamma Bhatti, the daily life of living here, then the important emphasis is on this awakened awakening to what, what's going on. In, you know, no, don't be so concerned on the externals, but internally. You know, the feeling, the, the, the love, the hate, the, the uh, resentment. Like here in, in any, any kind of human group, isn't it? Society. Two humans get together, there's going to be friction on personal level because personalities are different. Though we have different expectations or dif different conditioning, cultural differences and age differences. You know, sometimes somebody, an old man like me, finds it sometimes quite difficult to understand uh, why the younger generation act the way they do. You know, in terms of the different, different expectation of life, or different conditioning, you know, attitudes that, have, that one has experienced. But that's not the point, is not to understand all the conditions. Uh, that would be a hopeless task, to try to understand and in, in on all the conditions, but to see the conditions in that perspective of Dhamma, of the way they are, in terms of experience here and now. Now this is my, this will be my 40th Vasa as a bhikkhu this year, 40 years doing this. And um, I'm very pleased with the result, actually. <laughs> it's, uh, I feel very uh, fortunate, you know, and I think of myself as a, on a personal level, I feel very fortunate as a person And yet, 
it is natural state. I haven't attained it as a person. There's nothing personal about it. What you're awakening to is a universe, is the oneness. The person is a is a, is is a creation, isn't it? Just notice what thinking, how thinking operates. Observe that your own thinking process. It's all about uh, right and wrong, good and bad, isn't it? It's uh, you can't you can't think of the deathless. You have you think of what is what happens when we die, and people ask me this question. You know what happens? What do Buddhists believe about death? And they expect me to go on about reincarnation or something because we're connected with that perception of reincarnation. I think we believe in, in, in this idea of being reborn again in next life or uh, whatever conception you have. It is a conception, isn't it? Reincarnation is a word. This you can, you know, this is the way it is. It's a word. And, and it, you know, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but, it, you know, it's, it does have its effect. But it's about something we don't know at this moment. Right now. So this is the awakening to the way it is. It's not denying, saying there's no such thing as a bunch of rubbish. Or, you know, saying you have to, if you're a good Buddhist, you've got to believe in reincarnation. That's a doctrine. That's doctrinal again. But recognizing that the word itself is uh, it's a word. It comes and goes in consciousness. It has an effect. Maybe you, you believe in it or you doubt it. You know, is it possible? Or... Is it true? Or I don't. I think it's just rubbish. I don't believe in reincarnation. Or the Buddha never really taught reincarnation. That's Hindu. Or <laughs> you know, you form opinions or blame it on somebody else or put it down or build it up. But what I'm saying now is, what is it at this moment? And, and so this year, looking, you know, don't wait for me to tell you, but observe just the, the effect of that concept. It is, uh, it arises, ceases. It might, lea- might leave no impression on emotionally, or it might bring up emotions, or doubts, or annoyance, or belief, or disbelief, uncertainty. But you, this is what I call reflection, and you're aware of, of uh, how a word like that can bring up uncertainty. Don't know. It's possible. I'm not sure. What does the scriptures say? <laughs> and so then this is, this is what we're reflecting on, the way it is. And this is what I think so many of us find compelling about Buddha Dhamma is that it it doesn't put that pressure on, it's not doctrinal, it's not a belief system. There's nothing, you know, there's no kind of 
thesis that we have to accept to be a Buddhist. It's much more of an intuitive sense, isn't it? Our attraction, at least speaking for myself, it was an intuitive conversion. Something in me kind of responded to the, to the Buddhist teaching. Not because I believed in it, but it reached me on a different level. It wasn't a matter of just being fascinated with, with an interesting teaching. It had some kind of, maybe, a, what you call an awakening effect. Something in me kind of responded that was not just, uh, you know, based on interest in, in, an, an, in an Asian religion or philosophy. Learn does take determination. So, so this I can assure you during the, these 40 years, I've been very determined in the practice. Using the realities of the, you know, the experiences, conditions that I, I experience. And so it's like reminding myself, you know, using this this uh, Four Noble Truths as a way of reflecting. I'm, I'm suffering, what am I attached to? So it's a, it's a way of training yourself. If, if I feel I'm suffering, I'm fed up, I don't like this, I want, don't like that, complaining, whatever, it's because I'm attached to something. So then I, I investigate, and what, what is it that I'm attached to? And usually it's some kind of conceit, pride, uh, ideal, something like that. You know, as a, you know, feeling responsible because I'm a teacher or being very identified with responsibility and position or, or being, you know, attached to ideals or just feeling the sense of being threatened as a person by others or things that happen, by praise or by blame. So all of you can be aware of these, you know, in, in the sangsara, on this treadmill, there's, there's always going to be some, you know, endless opportunities for awakeness. You know, whether you're being held up as a model monk, role model for monastics, or being vilified, despised, rejected. Relationship to any of these events is use it for awareness. And if you determine to do that, then then it really, you know, you really begin to, you know, you really begin to trust this awareness. Because no matter what, what's happening, whether it's going well or badly or whatever, this awareness is, uh, 
is it, once you begin to trust it, recognize it, realize it is, it doesn't really matter which way it goes. It's not, it's no longer me having to try to set things right or do things or become something or get rid of something or whatever, but to keep that attentiveness in the moment to the way it is. So in terms of the, the Buddhist approach, it is it is a very, I think it's a very good uh, convention, actually. Uh, you know, for me, it's, it's worked beautifully. Uh, it, but it, it does, you know, it's learning how to use the convention, not, not just go around talking Buddhism and, uh, you know, spouting Buddhist terms you know, or becoming a Buddhist even, but in, in applying, using, you know, when you say Bhutto, use the word Buddha, it means awake. Make these things, you know, use these conventions as, as ways of, of reminding yourself. So I'm just taking the word Buddha, for instance, just that word is, when I hear Buddha, then I, it's, it's, you know, instead of thinking of the history of the Lord Buddha and, and the, the kind of conventional attitudes about uh, Gautama the Buddha, this word Buddha means awakened consciousness, wisdom now. So this is the Buddha Rupa, you know, the, the image here is not just meant to be some golden idol sitting up there or uh, you know has magical energies sent into it by all the de devotees of the Buddhas, 28 Buddhas and things you can you know it's it's for awakening isn't it in the present at least that's how I use it remind because we forget, and we get so caught up into the, go, it's so easy to, to get on the treadmill again. Because we're used to it, and even though it's painful and suffering and stressful, it's what we're used to, and we don't know what to do when we're not on it. You know, personally we feel quite frustrated because, uh, you know, our whole life has been conditioned to run on this treadmill. And when you get off it, sometimes you want to get back on it because what you, you know, you feel, you, you know, you kind of assert yourself, you have some identity on it. But when you get off it, there's no identity left. And that's where the, the, the recognition, this is it, it's awareness, it's not mine, it's not an attainment that, you know, kind of result of being a monk for 40 years and, you know, I get rewarded at the 
end, uh, you know, with with uh, confidence and faith. <laughs> it's not that at all. The, you know, the, the confidence comes from putting it to the test of applying these conventions to the realities of life that we experience, to the changingness, you know, of the body, of the emotional habits, of the 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 thing, you know, the comings and goings, the the seasons of the year, the praise and blame, the the you know the. Uh, happiness and suffering that is involved in this life, in whatever convention you use, is reflected on. It is what it is. Happiness is like this. So, you know, I still feel, experience happiness, but I know what happiness is. Or suffering, unhappiness, I know what unhappiness is. Know what being praised is like, what being blamed is like. And that which knows, that's what, that's the deathless. And so the deathless, in this sense, is reality, is real. It's not, it's not uh, an ideal or metaphysical doctrine. Not some kind of, you know, future life hope. Or that you, you know, you, you know, you'll find out whether it's, what it is after you're dead. It's now. So, now when you think about the deathless, you can't. You just get tangled up. You can believe in it or disbelieve in it or dismiss it or ignore it. But for me, that word, the Amata Dhamma, in Pali, Amata is deathless reality, Amata Dhamma. You know, this is, you know, it's not something uh, abstract. It's real, it's a fact. It's known through awareness. <coughs> and yet, when you try to figure it out, you're caught, you're back on the wheel again. Now this is where it's, this awakened mindfulness is not, you can't, you can't make yourself mindful. It's not, there's no method to be mindful with. It's, it's an imminent awakening. And if I give you a method to practice mindfulness with, I'm deluding you. <coughs> because any method you attach to. You keep thinking, if I keep doing this method, I'll finally get it. So, so it's the directness of awakeness, recognizing, reflecting, observing, noticing, in this intuitive way. It's not judgmental, it's not about, when you start judging things as right or wrong, good or bad, then you're back on the wheel again. So it's not a critical function, it's not about right and wrong. It's a discerning ability that we're very fortunate 
to be able to have in this human form, human, human limitation. The human body is a limitation, isn't it? The karma we each have, our own peculiar idiosyncratic karmas, whatever they might be. But the awakenness to be in pure consciousness, pure knowing, and, and recognizing. So the reality of the deathless is now. And the, 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 the truth of the way is that all conditions are impermanent. Not, not that, you know, this is to be, they say, and they reflected upon again and again. <laughs> so this is, uh, You know, they recognize the opportunity you have here of, of uh, you know, use the situation for awareness. You know, that's the, whatever, you're not asking you to believe or feel any certain way, but we conform, you know, we're willing to conform to monastic style. That's the agreement living here at this place. You agree to live within the form of it. And, uh, and then, you know, so that's the kind of moral agreement about action and speech. But the, pra the practice, what we call practice, isn't, is formless, really. It's uh, the encouragement in using this opportunity for awakening and recognizing, realizing. It's a very natural state. It's restful. It's not a, you know, it's not something I grasp. When I start grasping the, what I think is being mindful, I'm not. It's when I let go, relax and open and start trusting in this knowing, in this awareness that I See, recognize non-suffering and the deathless, the amatadhamma. So I offer this as a reflection.